This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is college football game day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the forward of the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Oh, Nelly, we are kicking it up a notch with great action of college football today. It starts at 12 o'clock. Marquee battles left and right. Wisconsin and Michigan State. Florida and Tennessee kick off at 3.30. Then marquee battles later tonight. LSU and Auburn. Nebraska, Northwestern. Oklahoma State and Baylor. Stanford takes on UCLA. And then the big one tonight, Arkansas and Texas A&M. We are roaring into week number four of the college football season. Rich Sermonello, I am chomping at the bit. Great games from start to finish today. Yeah, Joe, now it really starts to heat up. Uh, we've had a lot of great non-conference matchups earlier in September. Now that we're at, uh, at the end of the month, we start to really focus in on the beginning of conference play, a chance to, to build some early separation, some early momentum, regardless of the league. You mentioned some of the big games today. So I'm particularly excited about the beginning of conference play. This is what it's all about. This is where we s- separate the contenders from the pretenders, some games. Games on Thursday night, we saw top-ranked Clemson, fifth in the country, dominate Georgia Tech and Paul Johnson, 26-7. Some great games last night. TCU in a battle for the first half, 6-3 in the first half of that matchup. They pulled away in the second half of that game to win 33-3. And then USC with a 10-point lead entering the fourth quarter. They were winning that ball game 27-17. They lost in the last seconds of that matchup to Utah, who moves to 4-0, 31-27, unbelievable outcome in Salt Lake City. Rich and I have a great show planned for you today. We we have a lot of great top-notch guests at 10.31 Eastern Time. We'll bring on former Auburn Tiger Ronnie Daniels. We'll get Ronnie's take about what Gus Malzahn and the Tigers have to do in their big battle later tonight against Les Miles and the LSU Tigers. At 11 o'clock Eastern Time, we'll be joined by former LSU Tiger and two-time Super Bowl champ Leonard Marshall will get Leonard's take on how hot is Les Miles see entering this matchup. I mean, it doesn't get hotter than this. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. You could follow me on Twitter at at go for the two that's the number two you could follow rich on twitter at rich sermonello that's c-i-r-m-i-n-i-e-l-l-o rich a couple of thoughts entering this weekend and i want to i want to touch on the big games coming up but a couple of thoughts that i have to get off my chest from last week i mean again this big 12 conference texas loses to california late on saturday night last week we saw oklahoma with a disappointing performance losing to Ohio State. I know there's a big battle later today with Oklahoma State and Baylor. Baylor's the best opportunity for the Big 12 to get in the playoff. But I don't want to hear any Big 12 playoff talk until this conference steps up and starts playing a stitch of defense. To me, unless you can play defense, you don't deserve to be in the playoff. I want to get your thoughts about that statement. 
Yeah, I, listen, I agree. I mean, I, I think the playoff talk as it pertains to the Big 12, Joe, has to stop for the foreseeable future. I mean, I know we're going to do it. I, I know everybody's going to, you know, everybody wants to discuss how do you fit those five pegs into four squares. It's not going to include the Big 12. I mean, I, I, unless one of these teams gets absolutely torrid throughout the rest of the season, this is a year in which they're the fifth best Power 5 conference. And, oh, by the way, you have lurking out there a Houston team that might knock a second conference team out of the playoffs. So the Big 12 right now is playing for a Big 12 championship. Plain and simple, it's an entertaining conference. Let's sit back for a while. Let's watch the Mason Rudolphs. Let's watch the KD Cannons. Let's watch what Charlie Strong could do. But in terms of the playoffs, I just don't see any pathway that's realistic for them to be included in uh, in the four teams uh, in January. And when you talk about defense, for those that did not think that Clemson should be in the top five after their first mm-hmm. few weeks, well, that defense stepped up and really shut down the triple option on a short week. They have a marquee battle facing Louisville next week at home in Death Valley. That's going to be front and center stage taking on Lamar Jackson. But to me, this defense really stepped up in their yeah. Thursday night performance. And you saw the speed off the edge. That's what makes this defense, to me, very special. The way they can really run sideline to sideline a la Alabama. And Brent Venables is a a solid, one of the best defensive coordinators in the nation. Two years ago, had the number one ranked statistical defense. They followed that up with a a great job last year. And, oh, by the way, here we go. They just replugged top five talent. And these kids are starting to get it in his new scheme. I totally agree. And and what was most impressive for me is you know how difficult it is to defend the triple option. It, it typically takes more than a week to prepare for that system. This was four days rest and with a very young defense that includes a lot of first-time starters. What really stood out for me, and, and we'll take that into next week when we have next week's show, but last year Clemson had really good defensive linemen, right? You know, they, they, they had Shaq Lawson, they had Kevin Dodd. They didn't have a tremendous amount of depth. This year, they have the talent plus the depth. So we have a rotation that Brent Venables is going to to be able to use to keep his kids fresh when he's facing athletes like Lamar Jackson. So Dexter Lawrence, five-star kid, Christian Wilkins, phenomenal on Thursday night. So I was very impressed by that defense. Still need to see more from the offense because what surprises me is Deshaun Watson's been okay through the first four games. I thought he would be spectacular because last year he didn't have Mike Williams on the outside. This year he does. And I thought when the offense would be a little lackluster now that Renfro is gone because Renfro's the guy that is a possession receiver a la Wes Welker uh, a la Julian Edelman on the, in the college level. He's the guy that goes over the middle on dig route so I thought that that offense would take a little bit of a hit but I like the way Ray Ray McLeod played on Thursday yeah. night. They utilized him on fly sweeps. They utilized him in the short to intermediate passing game. He's a kid that could be an X factor next week uh, uh, going up against that athletic Louisville Cardinal defense especially at home. I think Dabo Sweeney's sort of working the younger guys into the mix, but he's a playmaker that can really step up his game next week. 
Yeah, and in terms, that's a very good point. And in terms of uh, short and intermediate routes, I would expect to see Deshaun make better use of Jordan Leggett, who's one of the top tight ends in the country. Haven't seen that as much as I expected so far this year. And to me, it all begins in the in the trenches. Joe Wayne Gallman is an elite college back. He hasn't been able to get out of the blocks this season. Oftentimes, enduring contact at or near the line of scrimmage. That is something that has to get solved because you're right. Louisville has a very quick, very athletic season defense and just one more note from last night uh, SMU lost 33 to 3 but but mark it down yeah, we're talking Clemson. Chad Morris was the former Clemson offensive coordinator. He is putting a process in place that at some point in the next year or two is going to reap dividends. We didn't see it last night. He doesn't have the personnel yet. But Chad Morris, I believe, has a blueprint on the hilltop for success at SMU long term. That's a great point because they played Baylor very tough in the first half of that battle. They played them very tough in that ball game in Waco. So that's a great point. And Matt Davis, their quarterback, went down for the year. So I like what they're doing on the defensive yep. side of the ball, this is a team that entering 2017, you're going to see Chad Morris's footprint on that team, and they'll make strides within their conference. So keep an eye out for that. When you mention Gallman, I agree with you because you look at last year, they had 11 straight games Clemson did with 500 yards of total offense, started with the victory against Georgia Tech, went all the way through the national championship game. In 11 of those 15 games, Clemson rushed for over 200 yards per game. Gallman rushed last year 1,520 seven yards he rushed for 13 rushing touchdowns so they need him next week to take the pressure offered Deshaun Watson against that Louisville Cardinal defense and that's going to be the March matchup that we break down next week in in our show but uh, a great battle taking place in Death Valley next weekend but I want to bring up this USC game because they had the lead they they kicked they punted on a fourth and three with about I want to say four and a half minutes left to Utah I've seen it time and time again rich where uh, uh, coaches not aggressive uh, and not putting the, the 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 pressure on the opposing team get your quick thoughts before we go to break yeah just playing not to lose and I think I think it's a problem now for Clay Houghton I, I think he's coaching scared I think he realizes that he's about to go on the hot seat and and I'm I'm convinced that played into what was a very conservative decision, a conservative finish last night. Incredible. When you think about it, USC 1-3 and three as they move into Pac-12 play. I mean, the 0-1 already. Is 1 is 1-5, Joe. Pe- people forget he is now 1-5 going back to last year. Lost as a head coach. 1-5 right. we'll, since he was named head coach. That's a big problem. Yeah. Uh, we'll break down all these games. We have Georgia and Ole Miss, Penn State and Michigan on top. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, we have some great battles taking place at 12 o'clock. One of these under-the-radar games, and who would have thought under-the-radar after last week's loss to Louisville, 63-20. to But Florida State goes on the road to South Florida, Rich. It's an intriguing battle. Seminoles haven't lost back-to-back since 2011. This is a rivalry game. So, hey, listen, South Florida revels 
as you know, Joe, at the opportunity to play any of the big three in the Sunshine State. If it's Florida State, if it's Miami, if it's the Gators, they want to crack to make a statement, not just to their fans, but also to recruits within the state, those maybe two and three star kid. I, I don't think they're getting the four and five star kids. They're not going to be beating out the Seminoles for that caliber of players. But listen, Willie Taggart is doing a terrific job, the head coach. Uh, the program has played very well so far this season, both offensively and defensively. Uh, I think this is a big challenge for Florida State, not just head-to-head, not just the trip to Tampa, but psychologically, where is your head after you got taken behind the woodshed by Louisville a week ago? And that was a terrible coaching performance by Jimbo Fisher. I've seen it twice now. I saw it in two games, last week against the Cardinals on the road and in the Peach Bowl against Houston. I'm sorry, I thought the play calling was horrible in in terms of his offensive game planning, how he chose to attack that Cardinals defense overall. They did not utilize their big play weapon, Dalvin Cook, to take the pressure off of DeAndre Francois. They didn't get him involved in the running game. I do not like the way Florida State's offensive line is playing, especially in run blocking. They're not opening up holes at all, especially in short yardage situations. And here's the thing about South Florida, Rich, that I'll tell you. I am so happy that the administration allowed Willie Taggart to get his players there. He came from Western Kentucky. He had a ball control attack with a running back Bobby Rainey who's now part of the New York Giants he liked to pound the football but they allowed him to keep his players there and they're paying the dividends now they broke through for a monumental season last year and they're almost back if they can get this victory they'll be resurrected from the dead that Skip Holtz put them in after Jim Levitt brought that team to prominence you know, when you, when you think about uh, budding superstars in terms of group of five programs, uh, uh, South Florida has always been that team for me because of where they're situated. I've always thought they had a very high ceiling. We saw it for a time with Jim Levitt. You mentioned Holtz. They sunk for a while. I think Willie Taggart is a perfect coach for this program. Could not agree with you more. It would have been easy to say, hey, a couple of tough years. Let's pull the plug. This is an outstanding coach. He comes from the Jim Harbaugh coaching Hold tree. that thought. He- Hold Hold that thought, Rich. We'll get we'll break this game down when we come back from break. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Jumping right into the week one analysis, uh, an interesting battle. Big Ten national uh, championship hopes on the line here in East Lansing, Wisconsin and Michigan State, Rich. Since 2011, Michigan State is 2-1 and one and has won those ball games by four and a half points per game. But you're talking about two undefeated teams and the way Michigan State pounded the rock last week against Notre Dame, 260 yards on the ground. This has Big Ten football written all over it today. Yeah, it sure does. I mean, I, I was, uh, I, listen, I expected Michigan State to play very well last week against Notre Dame. Didn't, quite frankly, expect them to pull the upset or make it as dominant as they were. But now we have to sort of reset our expectations for the Spartans because they look like just another typical Michigan State team. You know, uh, tough on defense, can run the ball between the tackles. Here comes Wisconsin, which has also played very well defensively. But, but Joe, what are your expectations for the young quarterbacks, Alex Hornibrook, because his first start, redshirt freshman, 
going into East Lansing. I mean, this is an awfully tough assignment for him. And it's an intriguing decision because I'll tell you why I think Paul Chris made this decision. In case you haven't heard, he's taken over for Bart Houston today. Hornibrook is a redshirt freshman, came in last week in the victory at home against Georgia State when Houston struggled in the first half of that battle. They were winning against Georgia State 6-3. to But you look at the defensive scheme by Michigan State. The way you have to beat Michigan State is over the top. They're giving up 241 passing yards per game. Last year, they gave up around 233 yards per game. That's how you have to attack Michigan State because you're not going to run the football when they stack eight in the box. Corey Clements might play in this game, but he's still banged up. Michigan State only giving up 72 rushing yards on the ground. So I think that Chris has more confidence in Hornibrook. And if he struggles, Rich, almost like I thought that Jimbo Fisher would go with, with uh, uh, Sean McGuire last Last week. Well, now we can go to the experience with Bart Houston should Hornibook struggle in the first half of this battle. And you bring up an important point as as optimistic as we are about Michigan State, Michigan State, uh, Michigan State's defense. The strength of that unit is in the front seven. The, the, the defensive backfield, which we have become so accustomed to expecting airtight coverage, you're absolutely right. They're vulnerable. These are average corners and Darian Hicks and Vianti Copeland. These are not elite cornerbacks that we, we've been accustomed to in the past. Uh, this is not Darquise Denard out there. So you're right. I mean, I think if you're going to beat Michigan State this afternoon, you're going to have to be able to get the ball to, to Jazz Peavy. You're going to have to be able to take the top off the defense. I could say it's one name, Narduzzi who moved the defensive coordinator Pat Norduzzi who's now the head coach at Pittsburgh he could be a main reason why even though they're the same blue collar team not the same type of scheme under Pat Narduzzi even though Mark D'Antonio a defensive minded head coach for the Spartans a little bit different type of defense in terms of their back end this year and last year so that's a great point and when you look at Michigan State's offense I was very impressed the way O'Connor attacked the deep middle and more importantly, the deep third of the field on the outside, outside the hashes. They gave him throws last week on the road in South Bend that really only his receivers can make the play, and he really stepped up. I thought that he might struggle on the road. I thought Deshaun Kaiser had the advantage, but he really impressed me last week on the road in that battle, and he's completing 72% of his passes, five touchdowns, two interceptions. And listen, no disrespect to Tyler O'Connor, Joe, but I, I think when you watch a performance like that, he gets credit. But, but I give even more credit to the staff. Again, I go back to what D'Antonio does offensively, defensively. He has his kids ready. It's that next man in mentality. So for him to be so poised in that difficult setting last week really speaks to the ability of those coaches to have their kids ready. Doesn't matter their class. Doesn't matter what they came in as in terms of uh, recruiting rankings. They're going to be ready for game time. That's what we saw from Tyler O'Connor. And the one thing I can tell you that embodies Michigan State football is running back LJ Scott. He seems to bring it in the biggest ball games. I mean, this guy is a bruiser between the tackles. Michigan State overall is rushing for 215 yards on the ground. They're passing for 215 yards as well. So a balanced attack. We'll see how that game plays out. But Wisconsin, here's the thing about Wisconsin's defense. Very impressive. They're only giving up 82 rushing yards a game. And 
last year, they only allowed 173 passing yards per game under Dave Aranda. They only allowed seven passing touchdowns. Well, entering this battle, they're only giving up 178 passing yards per game. They have seven sacks. They're going to need to force some turnovers against Tyler O'Connor and that offense to give Hornibrook and that offense, their offense, a short field on the road. Do you think that they can do it? Listen, Wisconsin, uh, similar to Michigan State, I mean, always does a good job defensively, always well coached. I'm curious, now that there's a, a slight uptick in competition, you know, you faced LSU's offense, you faced Akron, you faced Georgia State. They haven't really been battle-tested. Let's see how they perform this week against a more physical, more talented Michigan State offense. I like Michigan State in this game, but it's hard to ever overlook uh, Wisconsin because of how well coached that program is. And it's a conference game, so anything could happen. I mean, Big Ten uh, championship hopes on the line. I keep saying national champion because these two teams, if they run the table, they'll be talked about for a possible playoff appearance. So do not count out both of these teams should they run the table in the Big Ten. And a lot of people talking about both of these teams because we talk about Michigan, Ohio State. Well, these two teams are very solid on the defensive side of the ball, and they could surprise. We'll see how this game plays out. Wisconsin's rushing for 205 yards on the ground. They're also passing for 236 yards through the air. Rich and I will give our prediction for this game a little bit later in the show. Last two segments, I want to turn our attention to an SEC battle, Georgia and Ole Miss. Georgia's won 10 straight. Ole Miss, again, a second-half collapse. They jumped up 24-3 on Alabama. They were winning 24-17 at half. They lose that ball game 48-43. Where's the mindset of Hugh Freeze and the uh, Rebels as they enter this battle? It's an SEC game, but again, I like Georgia here. The way that they just seem fresher to me. I know they're coming off a close victory over Missouri, Rich, but I do. I think this is a worn-out football team in Ole Miss on the defensive side of the ball. It's an interesting take. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go the opposite way, Joe. I, I, I think Ole Miss has now gotten through the really sticky, you know, super difficult portion of the schedule. You played Florida State, then number two. You played Alabama, then number one. Emotional losses, I get it. But I just think the talent level of Ole Miss, if, if their heads are right, in terms of talent, I think they're a notch ab- above Georgia. And Georgia's struggling right now. We can get into it a little bit more later. But the offensive line of Georgia versus DJ Jones and that defensive line of Ole Miss. I think it's a big problem for Georgia, big problem for Nick Chubb and Jacob Eason. So I'm a little concerned. Georgia's been just okay the last two weeks, struggle with Nichols State. Heading to Ole Miss, Ole Miss will have a chip on its shoulder with that, uh, you know, that, that streak is in their mind. I think Ole Miss comes out and plays to their talent level today, Joe, so I would expect to see an A game out of the uh, the Rebels this afternoon. It's interesting because, again, Jacob Beeson will get the start. It's a true road test for the Bulldogs. I think that Georgia needs to utilize Sony Michelle in the passing game in the slot. Former offensive coordinator Mike Bobo did it in his tenure there. You can look at that game against South Carolina two years ago. They utilized him in the slot a la Reggie Bush. He's a guy that can you can utilize on nickelbacks and linebackers. He can create mismatches. And if you have Nick Chubb in the backfield at the same time, he's a guy that can take the pressure off of Jacob Eason and the offensive line. You look at Ole Miss, they're allowing 242 rushing yards a game. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
Back on college football game day, Rich and I were talking about Florida State and South Florida. Rich, I just think that Skip Holtz ran this program into the ground. He had athleticism at the quarterback position back in the day with a quarterback by the name of B.J. Daniels. I was very high on him, but I'm happy that the administration allowed Willie Taggart to get his guys. They're now reaping the rewards, and I think this is an upset in the making. Want to get your thoughts about how they allowed Willie Taggart to keep his players? You know, I, I wish more administrations were patient, Joe. I, I think when you make a hire like Willie Taggart, you recognize that this is a quality coach, Jim Harbaugh coaching tree. He's an old-school, pro-style type coach, was very successful at Western Kentucky, a program that had problems for a very long period of time. So South Florida wisely didn't fall into the trap that a lot of programs do, which is, you know what, two or three years, we're struggling. Let's pull the plug and try something else. Let's disrupt everything and start over. South Florida is reaping the benefits right now. They have a fertile recruiting territory. He has energized the base down in Tampa. And they have an enormous opportunity this afternoon. Even if they're competitive against Florida State, that's something that Willie can take on the recruiting trail next year and start to reel in more of those Sunshine State stars. He's got two stars in running back Marlon Mack and quarterback Quentin Flowers. He's an athletic quarterback, not in the same type of mold as Lamar Jackson, but they run a spread attack, and the way Florida State's defense played last week, Rich, again, I'm with you in the emotional level. They threw in the towel in the second half. I saw guys loafing around, you know, throwing in the towel. The game's over. Why even try? If they take that effort on the road in Tampa today, it's going to be a long, long day, and like I said, this is not a heated rivalry like in the same sense Florida State-Miami, but it is a, a rivalry game in the sense of recruiting. So I expect this Bulls team to be all in in this battle. This is their season right here. Hey, listen, I I, I think South Florida looks at it as a rivalry. And and I think at 12 o'clock today, you're going to see the intensity in green and gold uh, that you're not going to necessarily see in garnet and gold because I don't know what the motivation is for Florida State. I mean, you got hammered by Louisville. Now you have to go as a favorite on the road to play South Florida, which is looking to clean your clock. So I I think motivational-wise, obviously Florida State has better talent, but Joe, motivationally, major edge to South Florida. And I I think that at a minimum, it's going to carry them to a very, very competitive game into the second half. Well, I'm calling for the upset today. I think they get it done over Florida State. I like this team. I think they'll be all in. They force turnovers. We'll turn our attention to Penn State and Michigan. This is Joe Lisi on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on college football game day, the pressure is on later tonight on the Plains in Auburn. LSU and Auburn, what better way to talk about this game than with a former Tiger? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in former Auburn wide receiver Ronnie Daniels. Ronnie, how are you today? How you doing? I'm doing great. A lot of pressure on this team and Gus Malzahn. Schematically, what does this team offensively have to do to pick up this victory against LSU tonight? Well, I I think that they got to just they got to just stay focused. I mean, you know, it's still early, and I think they got to start getting those young big receivers involved. You know, get them get them involved. In the offense a lot more now. They got to start getting them guys involved and getting their feet wet. I think that once they can get 
those big receivers, those playmaking guys involved, that's going to open up the run a lot more. Ronnie, Rich Sermonello, obviously, you know, everybody hears about Gus Malzahn, uh, job security, hot seat. As a former player, does that kind of chatter that we get involved with here in the media, does it reach the players or are they tone deaf to that? Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure they hear, but, you know, you kind of they kind of talk to just not worry about what's in the media, just focus on what's what's in the locker room and what, what the game plan is. They try to tell you to focus on that, but, yeah, they, they hear it. I know they do because I, when I was playing, I used to hear, but I tried to just focus on what I had to do on the field. So, and 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 a lot of times, I think a lot of them need to use that as motivation to prove, you know, all the people that's talking, thinking that that they are not as good as they say they are, prove them wrong by just going out there and working hard, and and, and just believing that they can do it, they can win. Ronnie, when you look at the scheme by Gus Malzahn this year, I mean, he built his offense around a running from sideline to sideline. In 2013, they averaged around 328 yards per game and then dipped down to 255 in 2014. And then last year, it was 196. This year, they're back up to 261, but he's still going with Sean White at the quarterback position. Not the same type of running quarterback that Nick Marshall was, that he really built his offensive scheme off of and then Cam Newton when he was the offensive coordinator. Are you shocked that he's still going with Sean White in this battle? Well, see, I think from, you know, from, from outside looking in, it seems like Sean White is the guy that he can, he can, he knows, you can tell that he knows more of the offense and he can control the offense better. I think that's why Gus is going with him. But I think that once those, those other guys around Sean White, Start adjusting and doing things that that you know that'll help him because you know obviously he's not Cam Newton and you know he's not as fast as Nick Marshall, but you know I think that once they start surrounding him and and, and start focusing on his strength, that he he should be pretty good. But that, I think that's what it is, Coach. He 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 knows the offense a lot better than the other two. Ronnie, last week uh, the offensive line had to deal with Miles Garrett, uh, Deshaun Hall, Texas A&M. This week, uh, you know, one of the names that really jumps out for me is Arden Key, uh, the outside linebacker of LSU. What does that offensive line have to do to protect Sean White? You mentioned not as athletic as his predecessors, but he might have to be this evening. Yeah, I mean, they they gotta, you know, I think they gotta they gotta communicate, and it seems like you know, watching the game is like. They're not communicating, and they need to communicate more. And and it's like it's like you know build a wall. That's all they got to do. They, just like they've been doing, build that wall, keep shoulder to shoulder, build a wall, and and give give them time to hit to hit those receivers. Because I mean he's got the he's got the arm. He's he seems like he has the knowledge that he knows where he's going. You just you know they just got they got to protect him a little better. And I and I think you should, I think we'll see that today this evening. You know against LSU. That wasn't a Trump shout-out, was it, with the build-a-wall there, Ronnie? <laughs> no, it wasn't no Trump shout-out. Okay, just, right. just, just making sure. Maybe, okay. hey, maybe Donald Trump probably learned that from a football term. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> what, what, Ronnie, yeah. Ronnie, Ronnie, I, wa- I want to ask you about 
when you look at this battle. I mean, they, last year in Baton Rouge, they got embarrassed by Leonard Fournette in that LSU Tiger offense. They rushed for over 400 yards in that game. How much does that play a factor in terms of looking at that game film? Because that's not what Auburn's used to in terms of giving up so much in terms of run support. Will they look at that game film and bring it today? Because, I mean, that everybody talked about that last year, especially where that defensive back whiffed on Leonard Fournette. How much does that play a factor to make sure that they bring their, their A game? Because not only were they embarrassed last year, but their coach is on the hot seat. Yeah. I, I, I think last year, was 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 rough because you know Arvin was they didn't have real great linebacker play last year on that defense. So and you know I think now that he got a lot more speed at linebacker, that I don't think Leonard Fournette is going to be really a problem because the defense is they getting to the ball man they they're they're lights out right now so so I, I think that they're going they're going to continue to do what he, what they've been doing is you know all eleven hats to the ball and you know so it's, it's going to be more of Creating turnovers, what what the defense just keep, keep creating turnovers and putting the offense in a good in good scoring position, and that's that should be the game plan. I think that Gus and you know and you know Steele, defensive coordinator, they're going to try to do this tonight. For those who don't know, Ronnie, you played in this rivalry. What is the intensity level like? LSU, Auburn, same building. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's high. It's intense because you got to think about. It. You know, you got you got that that West Side where you got Alabama, Auburn, LSU, you know Mississippi State, you got Arkansas. So I mean, you you have a lot of hard nosed guys on that side. So I mean, LSU has always been a dominant program, just like Auburn. So and and it's like if you don't if you want to get to the SEC championship, you got to beat LSU. So all those teams like they're big, they come big because if you don't win, you don't get to the SEC championship. So it's like. You have to get those guys, and then this is the perfect time to go and, and hit them in the mouth, you know. And I think that's what Auburn's going to have to do. Once they shut Fournette down, you know, it's going to shock. It's going to shock LSU, and if they often should get going. Ronnie, before you go, do you have a prediction for today's game? Oh, uh, oh, Auburn going to win. <laughs> Auburn's going to win. <laughs> Ronnie, great information today. We'd love to have you on later in the in the year as the Tigers progress through their season. We hope you enjoyed it today. Okay, I did. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. That was former Auburn Tiger. Right. Uh, that was former Auburn Tiger wide receiver Ronnie Daniels giving us his take about what Gus Malzahn and the Tigers have to do. Intriguing insight as to what he feels defensively. He feels, Rich, that they're going to shut down Leonard Fournette a little bit later today. I'm not so sure about that. Well, listen, I mean, that has to be the blueprint. You want to put the game in the hands of Danny Etling. He's been good so far, but he's not a game breaker. He's not a game changer in the passing game. So if they're focusing all of their attention on stopping Leonard Fournette, sure makes a lot of sense as far as a game plan. Auburn's only given up 149 rushing yards on the ground. The weakness has been the secondary. They're giving up 251 passing yards per game entering this battle. And, and the MO for Auburn has to be let Danny Etling beat us over the top because this is a true road start for him. Even though he's played in the Big Ten, this is a different animal on the road, on the plains in Auburn. I mean, the pressure in this battle for both coaches. I wouldn't be shocked if either coach, should they lose 
lose this game on Monday could be uh, walking out the door. You think in season? I, I, that would surprise me. I, I listen. The losing coach, uh, I, I losing coach doesn't have a job at the current school, in my opinion. There's no question about it. Uh, winning coach survives to see another day. I don't think there's a guarantee he's back. But I, I would be surprised if either of these programs uh, went in a different direction in season. I think they'll let them finish it out. That's intriguing. I think maybe Les Miles can finish out the season. But again, I think Gus Miles on. I think they mm. would get rid of him midseason. I look at their offense right now they're averaging 261 rushing yards per game 194 passing yards per game that's why I think that they have to go to Sean White because you look at LSU Tigers defense they're giving up 222 passing yards on uh, per game you have to attack their secondary that's why I think he's going with Sean White and the uh, offense here against LSU later tonight we'll break this game down a little bit later we're going to take a quick break this is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Back on College Football Game Day, Rich and I were talking Georgia and Ole Miss before. I gave my breakdown for South Florida over Florida State. I'm calling for the upset, Rich. I think the Bulls get the upset today over Florida State and give them back-to-back losses for the first time since 2011. You have a prediction on this battle? Yeah, listen. I'll take Florida State. I just think the uh, I, I think the gap in talent is wide enough where where they'll survive. I know where you're headed with this. Uh, not going to argue with you. Wouldn't be shocked uh, if South Florida pulled the upset. But I'll say uh, Florida State bounces back from last week's game, uh, gets to three and one, and uh, begins to slowly regroup. Interesting. We'll see how that plays out in Tampa. I I need another cup of coffee to get ready for this battle. Georgia and Ole Miss. We spoke about it in terms of I think this is a worn out team in Ole Miss. I think Georgia and Jacob Eason get the upset victory 27-24. I think they need to utilize Sony Michelle in the slot. He's a playmaker in the same type of mold that Reggie Bush is. I, I like Georgia here. I just think they're a fresher team. I know they haven't played as well as a lot of people have expected, but they are undefeated. It's a conference game, and I look at that Ole Miss defense. I think they got worn out last week by Alabama in the second half of that battle. Yeah, I disagree, Joe. I, I think this actually works out well for Hugh Freeze. If it was a different opponent, maybe you could say they'd be a little lackluster, a little down after the emotional loss, blowing a lead last week against Alabama. But it's Georgia, and they have struggled against Georgia, and they know what's at stake now at 1-2. and two. So I think motivation won't be a problem. Chad Kelly has pre, uh, played well. I like the Ole Miss defense versus a struggling Georgia offensive line. I think they win. I think they cover. I think today is a day where we see a better indication of how good Ole Miss could be in 2016. My motto for that game is don't believe the hype. I think you're. I, this is a defense that's giving up 242 rushing yards a game. I know Georgia hasn't looked good. They're rushing for 185 yards on the ground. I think I think they get healthy today with uh, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle in that offense. So we'll see how that plays out. Quickly, Penn State and Michigan, intriguing battle, Rich. I'm going to go with the Nittany Lions to push the Wolverines as far as they can go. It's a Big Ten game. I like James Franklin today as an underdog. I don't see it at all. In fact, this was one of my uh, 
better bets. I don't know if I'd call it a best <laughs> bet, but you know, I, this is one of my better bets. I, listen, I, I think Michigan loves an opportunity to hammer a Big Ten opponent, really rub it in. I see Michigan winning 41-17. to 17. I, Again, blowout, cover. I think they dominate on both sides of the ball. I just don't like this Penn State team, and I think James Franklin's going to be out at the Ooh, end of the year. Wow. We got, we're going to be bucking heads on that one. We'll break down <laughs> the Florida-Tennessee game. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, the marquee 330 battle. Florida and Jim McElwain travel to Neyland Stadium to take on Butch Jones and the Tennessee Volunteers. Both teams are 3-0. and Both teams have their sights set on playoff aspirations. Ritz doesn't get better than this. Florida's won 11 straight in the series over the last 10 years. It's been around nine points per game, but the last two games have been decided by a total of two points. Expect fireworks later today in Neyland Stadium. Uh, maybe defensive fireworks. I, I don't expect a lot of offensive fireworks in this game. Best unit is going to be the Florida defense. Uh, Tennessee has been, eh, you know, they've been okay offensively. I don't expect anything better today. Florida won't have their quarterback, Luke Del Rio. So expect a very low-scoring, hard-hitting, defensively geared type game Uh Listen, I like Florida. I think the trend continues. I think Tennessee has blown the last two in this series. Could have won those games. Haven't impressed at all. Star of the day, Joe, will be the Florida D. Yeah, you say that defense. I mean, I'm in agreement with you. You talk about statistics for Florida. They're giving up 42 rushing yards per game, 87 passing yards per game. They're holding opponents, opposing offenses to 19% third down conversions, and they lead FBS with 16 total sacks. I don't care who you're playing. Three games, 16 total sacks. This defensive front seven is playing lights out, and their defensive secondary, when you look at it, led by Jalen Tabor entering this battle, really matches up well on the outside against Josh Malone and Joshua Dobbs, the quarterback for Tennessee. I'm sorry. He's not an elite quarterback. I don't. I, he's an athletic quarterback. He's a very good quarterback. He hasn't had a marquee win in my in my eyes in his tenure in Knoxville. And this is a big battle. And and again, I think if you keep him in the pocket, making his reads and progressions. He's an average quarterback, so I think that favors Florida, and I'm with you. I think it's a little bit more high-scoring than many think. I think it's 23-20. I think Florida can make some noise offensively, even though Austin Appleby, the former Purdue quarterback, will be making his first career start for the Gators today. I love the way this defense is playing, and defense, in my opinion, wins championships. Joe, a rare kumbaya moment for you and I, because I actually have this game 23-19, to 19, so we're really simpatico when it comes to Florida and Tennessee. I Listen, I agree. Uh, Tennessee is giving in this game. I think Florida wins it outright. I just don't see the avenue where Tennessee has success offensively. they got talented backfield players in Jalen Hurd and Alvin Kamara. But if you could shut down Joshua Dobbs and stack the box in order to stop those backs, I don't know where Tennessee goes to get points. Now, Florida's going to struggle as well because you mentioned uh, Appleby's going to be under center, couldn't win the job at Purdue. Uh, Now is at Florida. Florida's lucky they have him. He is a veteran. 
But I, I, I think Florida continues this trend and makes it 12 in a row. And keep in mind, there's a reason why Danny Etling and Austin Appleby are, are on different teams. It's be, uh, because they couldn't win the job from David Blau in Purdue. So uh, there's a main reason why both of these players are at different programs. So even though they have the experience, they're not used to playing in marquee SEC battles, even not to take away for the Big Ten, but Purdue was not a national championship caliber team when they played for them, and they still aren't entering the 2016 season, although I'm very bullish drinking Boilermakers this year uh, and think they get it done over in Nevada later today. But um, So keep that in mind. You're right about that. And here's the thing about the Tennessee defense, and this is not a knock. I don't buy that they've been playing down to the competition, that they're going to bring their A game all of a sudden because it's Florida. I think they have some flaws on the defensive side of the ball, and they're allowing 152 rushing yards per game. Yeah, and listen, today uh, Jalen Reeves-Maben should play, not 100%. Cam Sutton, their star cornerback, will play on Sundays. He's not available today. So that defense, which has had some, you know, has had some soft areas in it in the first three games, now could be less than 100%, particularly with Sutton. I think that's a major uh, miss. Can you get Antonio Callaway if he's healthy? Can you get Antonio Callaway involved in the passing game from Florida's perspective? Here's the angle that intrigues me the most, Joe. Butch Jones, huge game. We've had Corey Allen on the air before. He said, you know what? Everybody loves what Butch has done in the offseason. In season, we need to see it. This is one of those games he has to break that losing streak. That's a great point because I had Charles Davis on in the offseason, and I asked him that. You know, He was a big proponent of Butch Jones and keeping his players. And But he said, this is the year. This is the year that they expect to win the SEC East and possibly the SEC. So if they don't get it done, this year, you're right. I think uh, is he on the hot seat? I mean, if they don't win this game, people have said if they don't win this game, they could still win the East. Yeah, but if you lose to Florida 12 straight times like they have, I mean, you're not stepping up in competition in these marquee battles. You don't want to win by default. Is Butch Jones on the hot seat unless they win an SE East championship? I don't think so. I think it's one of those years, Joe, where if if he doesn't win the SEC East, he now ratchets up the temperature heading into 2017. It makes 2017 a must-win season. But I think it would be a mistake. We've talked about administrations that have quick triggers. I think it would be a mistake to try to start over. He's done a lot of good. He's improved the talent level, has really gotten people excited again about Tennessee football. He comes back in 2017, but boy, he's going to face a lot of pressure if he's not coming back with an East title. Yeah, and they're going to need to run the football today against the, against the Florida front seven in this battle. So it's not going to be easy. Jalen Hurd's going to need to step up, and that offensive line's going to need to open up holes and protect Josh Dobbs because expect Jim McElwain and that front seven to blitz them repeatedly. And we'll see how it plays out. I mean, again, Florida's won 11 straight games since 2011. It's been by nine points per game. Last two have been decided by two points points. Rich and I are both going with the Gators. Rich has 23-19. I have 23-20. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll break down the rest. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back 
back on college football game day. Rich and I are bucking heads here. Penn State and Michigan. Rich likes Michigan in a blowout. I'm going with James Franklin and the Nittany Lions to lose a very close game. We'll turn our attention to a 3:30 battle. It's on a neutral field in Landover, Maryland, where Washington, where the Washington Redskins play. So keep that in mind. BYU in West Virginia, Rich. Very intriguing battle. Taysom Hill and the Cougars lost last week. 17 to 14 to UCLA. West Virginia coming off a bye week. I really like West Virginia in this battle. I think their speed on the perimeter with quarterback Skylar Howard and running back Russell Shell is the difference. I think they get a double digit victory later today. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you here. I just haven't been uh, terribly impressed by BYU. Defense is fine. Offense is not. They're one-dimensional with Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams out of the backfield. They just don't have a mature passing game to take advantage of what is an average West Virginia defense. West Virginia will have a ton of motivation. They now recognize that they and Baylor are the final two Big 12 teams that are undefeated. Not saying they're going to win the conference, but they have an opportunity to sort of take that spotlight for the next couple of weeks, enjoy it under Dana Holgerson, light up the offense a little bit. I think they win as well. I think they'll be highly motivated. BYU is a little bit gassed at this point. A couple of tough games, including a few weeks ago against Utah. So I I agree. I think it's West Virginia led by Skylar Howard in that offense. You brought up gassed. It happened last year. They had three straight road games. They went on the road to Ann Arbor and got blown out by that battle, 38 to nothing. Couldn't move the football with former corner back Tanner Magnum who's behind Taysom Hill this year. I, I agree with you. They're coming off an emotional loss where they went for a two-point conversion uh, against Utah, Utah. They then come back home against UCLA. Trailed that game 17 to nothing. It should have been worse than that, but they held back the reins and then they got two uh, late touchdowns to cut the lead 17 to 14 now on a neutral field site. So, and West Virginia for me is a team that I think it will be a sleeper in the Big 12. Not to win the conference, but I pick them to be third overall. I think they could surprise some teams uh, under Dana Holgerson. I like this offense that that he has with Skylar Howard this year. Yeah, and listen, he's always been looking for balance. He's been looking for that right quarterback uh, since Geno Smith left. I, I think he has that in Howard. Veteran, strong arm, knows the offense, knows the personnel, has good skill position players. So this sets up as a, a season in which West Virginia might be able to finally ascend. I thought Dana Holgerson was beginning this year on the hot seat. Certainly could head back, Joe. Right. But right now at 2-0. We'll, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, this is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown! Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Peppers is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan! Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Hour number two of College Football Game Day. Marquee back. LSU and Auburn. What better way to break this game down than with a former LSU Tiger. He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in former LSU and two-time Super Bowl champ, defensive tackle Leonard Marshall. Leonard, how are you today? Good afternoon, Rich. 
afternoon, Joseph. How you doing? I'm doing well. A lot of pressure on this LSU Tiger team and their head coach, Les Miles. Talk to me about the sentiment surrounding this program and, more importantly, what this team has to do to pick up the victory later tonight, Leonard. Well, I think everything starts with the running game and Leonard Fournette and that this young kid is now uh, going to come back to the program semi-healthy. Uh, uh, and after three weeks of recovery against Wisconsin, which was the first game of the season that he was actually injured. He was actually injured in practice the week of uh, prior to Wisconsin, but they were able to get him healthy enough to participate and play, and he had an outstanding performance despite the loss. I think the second thing the Tigers need to do is they need to get back on track in terms of uh, their quarterback and let the running game establish a play-action football game for them offensively. I think that Les Miles is doing a great job with the program. Everybody keeps saying that he has a tough time. He can't recruit quarterbacks, this, this, that, that, and the other thing. I go back to my days at LSU. We didn't have a good quarterback when I played my freshman year. Uh, but, but the guy became a great pro uh, in David Woodley, who is now deceased. The other guy that was the platoon quarterback with him, Steve Ensminger, is now the tight end coach for the LSU Tigers. And, uh, and he can tell you all the way back from his days. It was the same exact way. So, Tiger football has always been three yards in a cloud of dust. Uh, the, the goal, of, the mark of the season was to beat Alabama and to play as close to the best as possible, rack up wins, and get ready to play them in November. And um, that's what I think the Tigers need to do. Defensively, they're very talented at LSU. Uh, their linebackers are talented. The secondary is talented. And their defensive line is outstanding. I think Baby Ogeron does a great job with that um, and will continue to do a good job. But I think the overall key to this game today is can Fournette be the man that he's been against Auburn like he's been the past three or four outings that they played Auburn? Leonard, Rich Sermonello, uh, to me, you'll always be the only Leonard from Baton Rouge. Uh, no disrespect to Fournette, by the way. Um, is your sentiment the prevailing sentiment when you say this has always been the LSU way? We, you know, we don't have the, the prolific passer. Or is that changing as we get deeper into the 21st century? Are people looking for more flash and pop from offenses? Well, I, I think you're exactly right on it. I think that you can't play that style of football in this era. And and I know that, you know, less comes from that. I know that's what Baton Rouge wants and they've desired for forever. LSU has always had a top flight running back and some kind of receiver. Uh, but the fact that, that the game is now changing, where the quarterback position is extremely athletic, we need to find a way down there to recruit an athletic-type quarterback, and fundamentally develop a program around that quarterback. But until then, you gotta you got to do, do well with what you got. And what he's got is a, 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 another platoon situation. One, that Brandon Harris is a passer uh, and a runner. And two, the young man that transferred from Purdue is a combination of what Brandon Harris is not. So... You know, you got to kind of roll with the times and and hope that you know maybe next off season or or, or maybe someone develops during the season uh, and becomes a player, you know that uh, that they've been looking for. 
Leonard, when you talk about LSU Tiger defense, I mean, the physicality that LSU brings on the defensive side of the ball is second to none. I mean, Alabama and LSU for years have been known as the creme de la creme of physicality within the conference. How big of a loss do you feel, in your opinion, even though they do have defensive coordinator Dave Aranda there from Wisconsin, how big of a loss was former defensive coordinator John Chavis to Texas A&M? Do you feel like he was a big loss and hurt that team in any way? Well, you see what Texas A&M is doing now. You see the type of talent that they've been able to recruit with John Chavis on that side of the football and on that coaching staff. And I think that that, that speaks volumes uh, in terms of, uh, of the development of young talent and the recruitment of young talent that, that can actually achieve the goals that Texas A&M wants to achieve and then go on and move on to the next level. So, yes, we missed that guy. There's no doubt. And and, and I will tell you this. I, I got to know Coach Chavis. Uh, have a ton of respect for him. Uh, wish I could have played for a guy of that magnitude when I played at LSU. Uh, I didn't, but I had a hell of a defensive line coach uh, who really taught me the game of football uh, position-wise and then taught me the game of football fundamentally in my friend Pete Jenkins. So LSU needs to get back to that type of stuff. Uh, if it is Dave Aranda and, uh, and he can continue both recruiting those type of athletes and, 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 and the recurring winning ways that they've had defensively, on their football team, uh, and talent-wise, um, then the program will be successful. Leonard, for, for an LSU Tiger, when you look at the schedule, where does the Auburn Tigers rank in terms of importance? We know Alabama's number one, but where is Auburn? Where, where is the importance of that game for an LSU Tiger? Oh, there's a ton of respect. For, for the Auburn football program, you know, they were they were they were known as the War Eagles back in the day when I played them. Uh, they had a dual identity, um, and they had players like Joe Cribs and James Brooks uh, uh, running the football and catching the football out the backfield, and you know, big physical defensive lines and, and big offensive linemen, and uh, you know, that program has always been respected by LSU. I think if you were to talk the top three programs in the SEC that were so respected. You talk Auburn, Georgia, and Alabama, and not in any particular order because every year you knew that those three programs would come into play. You know, I think the one that we disrespected that snuck up on us at times was Mississippi State and every now and then Ole Miss. Leonard, I, I, great information today. As always, always a pleasure and always love to have you on the show. I know you're making a special appearance today in the New York, New Jersey area. Tell fans what you're involved in. Well, I'm involved in a healthcare company right now. I own, um, I'm part of a group that owns eight pharmacies in New Jersey. Uh, we're expanding our brand uh, throughout Bergen, Hudson, Essex, and Passaic County. Um, and a company by the name of Hometown RX. And our website is hometownrx.com. Uh, but today I'm appearing at Stop and Shop on behalf of the New York Giants to promote the relationship between Shop, Stop and Shop and the New York Football Giants. I'll be there from 12.30 to 2 p.m. All the fans come out. 
and we'll have a great afternoon. Leonard, love the information as always. You're a great friend and love to have you on as the season progresses for the LSU Tigers. We hope you enjoyed it tonight. Thank you so much, partner. Great talking to you too, Joe. You too. Can't wait to see you again, my friend. You got it. Enjoy the weekend. That was former LSU and two-time Super Bowl champ for the New York Giants, Leonard Marshall Rich. Intriguing insights on what he felt about offensively what the Tigers have to do because it's a mixed crowd. Some fans want to pound Fournette between the tackles and just wear down this Auburn defense, and others want to attack it vertically. So it's intriguing what side of the fence they're on. Listen, I'm just happy he made a Joe Cribs reference for us uh, <laughs> older guys. I was excited by that. Listen, I, I, I think there are two schools of thought, but I think in some way, shape, or form, Joe, you have to get those big wide receivers involved with the offense to take a little bit of the heat off of Leonard Fournette, not just today, but for the rest of the season. That's a great point. They have to get Traven Durrell and Malachi Dupree involved in the offense early to take the pressure off of Danny Etling because if you're going to wait to the second half to get him involved in the passing attack, he could face some pressure emotionally so that's something that you have to keep an eye out it's going to be a very intriguing battle and a lot of pressure for both coaches LSU's won four out of the last five by 18 points per game we'll see how that plays out a little bit later tonight because in 2014 the Auburn Tigers did pick up a decisive 41 to 7 victory over the LSU Tigers this is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Live from New York, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello talking. The early game so far, we left off with BYU and West Virginia. We both like West Virginia in this battle. They're minus seven. It is a neutral field site, so keep that in, in mind as you play this game a little bit later today. It's not in Morgantown. Rich and I both feel that BYU is a little bit gassed entering this battle, but they are a gutty team, and we'll see how it plays out at 3.30 p.m. today. Another 3.30 start is a very intriguing battle, Rich. ACC battle, Pittsburgh on the road in Chapel Hill against North Carolina. Larry Fedora and the crew. This is a Pittsburgh defense, Rich. Two weeks ago against Penn State, they allowed 332 passing yards to Trace McSorley and the Nittany Lions. They won that battle 42-30. to they went on the road last week in Stillwater. They lost that battle 45-38. to They allowed 540 passing yards, a school record, to Mason Rudolph. They have to know, go back on the road for an ACC battle to an offense that's averaging 296 passing yards per game with a quarterback in Mitch Trubisky that's completing over 70% of his passes, five touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, I think this is a tough battle for Pittsburgh, back-to-back road games, and I expect North Carolina to get get a convincing double-digit victory over the Panthers later today. I agree with you. I, I think Pittsburgh right now is trending down, was not impressed by their defensive performance in the last two games. That does not bode well when Carolina and Larry Fedora are up next. You mentioned Trubisky. He's playing well. He's starting to get comfortable in that system, Joe. And they have that balance that every offense, offensive coordinator is seeking, which is Elijah Hood out of the backfield, the shiftiness of Trubisky. I think that's a lot of problems for a pit defense that, quite frankly, 
has surprised me with their uh, futility so far this month. So Pitt will have some success because Carolina's not great defensively, but at the end of the day, I think it's that Carolina offense that wins the day. I agree with you. It's a contrast in styles. Just like last week for Pittsburgh, uh, first play of the game, James Washington beat them over the top for a long touchdown and, and then always put pressure on Nate Peterman to respond. So they cannot afford to get into that type of battle, especially on the road. They need to run the football, bleed the clock, because their offense is built to run and work off a of play action with Nate Peterman. They need James Conner to get going. So when you talk about uh, Trubisky, 73%, five touchdowns, no interceptions. He's got two big play wide receivers in Matt Collins and Ryan Switzer. We'll see how that plays out. We both like North Carolina. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be breaking it down. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, Rich and I are running rogue for the next 45 minutes, Rich. We're going to break down as many games as we possibly can get to. I want to talk about this battle, Texas A&M and Arkansas. Texas A&M's won four out of the last five since 2011 by 18 points per game. Last loss came in 2011, 42 to 38. Last two games did go into overtime, but I'm telling you, this was my pick at the beginning of the year to win the SEC West, the sleeper team of the SEC, Trevor Knight and the Texas A&M Aggies and in my opinion, I think they dominate this game by double digits later today. You're still on those Aggies. Oh, you are baby. not going to give up. You're not. <laughs> you're, you're, you have been on those Aggies from day one. Listen, I have two. I had them winning right through the halfway point of the season. I don't see any way that they win the SEC West. Having said that, love this matchup today. It really is an important game, Joe, as you know, for the SEC West. Someone has to step outside of that sort of logjam behind Alabama and say, we're the team that is going to compete with the Crimson Tide. I do think that will be A&M today, but I think it'll be close. I mean, I think this is a nip-and-tuck four- or five-point game. Haven't been impressed by the Aggie offense. Haven't really been impressed by Trevor Knight. He lacks accuracy in the passing game, so I think this is a close, competitive physical game, but that A&M defense keeps getting better. I see Aggies 30, Arkansas 26. That's a great point because I, I understand what you're saying. He's only completing 52% of his passes. I get that, but he's making proper reads and decisions. He's a mobile quarterback, which is taking pressure off the offensive line. Last year, they had major offensive line issues. They allowed 38 sacks as an offensive unit, and that's why Kyler Murray and Kyle Allen are both transferred. I know they had some head coach issues with Kevin Sumlin, but again, their reads and progressions. He's a mature, big-game quarterback. Here's the thing that a lot of people don't recognize about this defense. So I'll bring up some stats. They're only allowing 131 rushing yards per game. They're holding opponents to 30% on third down conversions, and they have 12 sacks already through the first three games. And it's not just Miles Garrett. They're getting pressure up front. And as much as we hear about Jabril Peppers, I love Jabril Peppers. He's a Paramus Catholic kid from Bergen.
Bergen County, New Jersey. I grew up in Bergen County. I, I played Paramus Catholic when I was younger. I'm the biggest proponent uh, in terms of Jabril Peppers on the next level. But I'll tell you another name. Armani Watts doesn't get enough credit for his big playability and how he comes up and runs support. He is an underrated defensive back, only about six foot at 200, not as athletic as Jabril Peppers, but this guy brings it each and every week, and he's a rover that John Chavis loves to utilize in different types of schemes and run blitzes. That's why I love you, Joe. You know, it's one of the many reasons why I love you, because when everyone's talking about Miles Garrett and Deshaun Hall, you bring up Armani Watts, and I think that's a great call on your part. Chavis has come in, and he has taken the Armani Wattses. He's taken the Sean Washingtons, and he's really elevated the play of these kids. He, he has them flying all over the field, uh, versatile, sure tackling in the open field. I think a lot is going to come down this evening to, to Austin Allen. We know that Arkansas wants to run the ball with Raleigh Williams, big physical back between the tackles. That is Brett Bielema's mindset. That's his brand. But what do you get out of the two quarterbacks, not just Trevor Knight, but Austin Allen? Is he ready to step up and give balance to that Arkansas offense and really challenge Texas A&M vertically? I think it sets up as a fascinating game for fans who, you know, looking for a little primetime football this evening. Yeah, it's a rivalry game dating back to the old Southwest Conference days when they had guys like we mentioned before, Quinn Grovery and Barry Foster, uh, and here's another one, well, not Southwest Conference days, but I loved Arkansas with Houston Nutt when they had guys like DeCorey Birmingham and Matt Jones back in the day, Tony Bua. <sighs> a blue-collar team, Arkansas, always blue-collar, and again, I think it's a, it's, it's a contrast in styles because you're right, they're going to need to run the football, and they're going to need to run it at Miles Garrett because he's a speed rusher, so he gets up the field and if you could kick him out, you got off-tackle runs. They did it last year with Alex Collins, so we'll see if they can do it. This defense is a lot better in terms of Mile Garrett's play in run support. So, And Mack, their physical defensive tackle, he's only a sophomore. He goes about 340 pounds. I mean, this guy clogs running lanes the way Butch Wolfork does for the, the Patriots for years now. Now he's on the Texans, but same type of mold. Here's the thing about Arkansas's defense. Solid in run support. They're giving up 98 rushing yards a game. That's secondary. It, they, it was their problem last year. They allowed mm. 275 yards per game through the air last year. This wide receiver core is lethal. And I think that's the matchup. Who could dictate tempo? Yeah. So if you're asking me, I'd rather go with Texas A&M because I've seen them play some gutty games. And I, I'm not to take away from that road victory, double overtime over TCU. But I just think they're clicking right here, Texas A&M. Uh, that's what I see out of this offense and, more importantly, their defense. And then confidence is the key. You know, we all know what kind of an offseason A&M had. Kevin Sumlin, maybe he's a hot seat uh, candidate. If you mentioned the quarterbacks that transferred. They are a confident program right now. I think that's starting to snowball. I'm also curious, Joe, to see what we get from the Arkansas offensive line. Struggled a little bit in the opener against Louisiana Tech. You struggle tonight, you're going to get your quarterback killed. Yeah, they need to run the football. They are usually up around 200 yards per game. They're only at 170, and they're only passing for 218 yards through the air. Austin Allen, 67% completion percentage, seven touchdowns, two interceptions. Intriguing battle. I say double digits. I'm calling 17 to 20. Texas A&M, I love Texas A&M today. 
Going to be texting you tonight, baby, when it's like a three-point game in the fourth. You're going to be getting texts from me. You know it. <laughs> and you said you love me. So as long as somebody loves me, I'm I a happy guy. So that, that's that matchup, 9 o'clock tonight. It's on a neutral field site in Jerry Jones's building, Dallas Cowboys, Arlington, Texas. 9 p.m. start. It's on ESPN. Another intriguing battle that we have to talk about. Stanford and UCLA. Christian McCaffrey on primetime. They dominated USC last week. Last week on the road. UCLA, that gutty 17-14 victory. Stanford has won the last six games, Rich, by 17 points per game. Something tells me I'm loving UCLA in this battle. I know you don't like the physicality of the Bruins, but I, I like Josh Rosen in this spot here. Yeah, I, I think there's a reason why uh, UCLA has struggled against Stanford recently, and it is that lack of physicality of UCLA. They're a finesse team. Uh, listen, Eddie Vanderdose, they need more players like him, the defensive tackle. Give me three or four more Eddie Vanderdoses, Connor McDermott's on the offensive side of the ball. I just don't like the identity of UCLA right now. I think they match up poorly against the physicality, both offensively and defensively, of Stanford. Ryan Burns, the quarterback, is gaining confidence now that he has a couple of starts under his belt. Obviously, you know, Christian McCaffrey, we don't have to uh, uh, analyze him too much at this point. But the defense of Stanford, I, I think they maul Josh Rosen. Rosen, Joe, no support from his receivers. More drops than any receiving core in the country. That's not going to cut it against Stanford. So I think the Cardinal go into the Rose Bowl, win this game, extend the winning streak, and until next week, they're the favorite in the North Division. Wow. So we're bucking heads on that. I like UCLA in a high-scoring game. I think it's 34-30, 33-30. UCLA only giving up 133 rushing yards per game. I don't think you'll find Christian McCaffrey as wide open as he was last week against USC. UCLA has the defensive game plan to methodically force them to work down the field. So we're, we're both in disagreement there. Rich likes Stanford. I like UCLA. We'll get back to it after a quick break. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, last half hour of the show. We're going to get as many games as we could possibly get into today. If you want to follow me on Twitter, follow me at Go for the Two. That's the number two. If you want to follow Rich, it's at Rich Sermonello, C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879, 844-843-6879. If we don't talk about a game today, tweet us We'll get back to you. We love talking college football. There's nothing better. Rich, an intriguing Big 12 battle, Oklahoma State and Baylor. Mm. Mike Gundy, Jim Grobe, uh, Baylor's the best shot out of the Big 12 to possibly, I I told you before, be mentioned in the playoff, but I don't want to hear it. I like Oklahoma State to keep it close. I think they'll be in a position to strike the upset. I just like Mike Gundy, and I like the wide receivers of James Washington and Jalen McCleskey. Totally agree with you. I I think uh, this is a gift. I mean, if you're getting nine, ten points, uh, Oklahoma State is absolutely Christmas morning because these are two equal teams. I don't know what to expect out of Baylor at this point, Joe. Do you? I mean, we haven't seen them against anybody. It's the same old story for Baylor. It's been lackluster. Yeah. 
I, I, it's lackluster. Yeah, they, they have so many changes on the offensive and the defensive line. Now, here comes Oklahoma State, which has a little bit of a bounce in its step after beating Pitt last week, 45-38. to 38. Love the matchup, even though they don't go head-to-head. James Washington, Katie Cannon. If you're into the Bolitnikoff Award, you have to watch this game. They're two of the most explosive receivers in the country. But listen, I think this is a toss-up game. The fact that Oklahoma State is getting more than a touchdown, by God, that looks like an absolute gift. Now, Jim Grobe has done a great job uh, in terms of what he did at Wake Forest. But again, I I mean, this is his biggest game as a head coach. Even though he took Wake Forest to bowl games and knocked off teams before, I mean, the pressure is on because now he's expected to dominate with a team that just rolls over the competition in the Big 12. So this is not an easy game. Rich and I both like Oklahoma State. It's a very intriguing game. 7 o'clock start. We have a couple of 7 o'clock starts on top of that, LSU, Auburn, and Nebraska Northwestern that Rich and I will be breaking down a little bit later in the next segment. So we're about to take a break, but I do... I do want to talk also about a 10:30 game. I just want to set the slate here. Cal and Arizona State, Washington and Arizona, Rich. Those are two games that we're going to touch on in the next segment. We'll give our predictions. We still have about 30 seconds left. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. Stay with us. We're on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, we are about 29 minutes till kickoff. We'll break down and give our prediction. Wisconsin and Michigan State. Rich, I I don't see Michigan State losing this battle. The way they pounded the rock last week, 260 rushing yards on the ground. I think L.J. Scott has a big day. And I think O'Connor and that offense stretch Wisconsin's defense vertically. I think this is a bad spot for Hornibrick. Uh, I just don't see it. Clements banged up. They're going to need to start fast to win this game, and I don't see it happening on the road in East Lansing today agree with you. I think Michigan by seven or eight in this game. And, you know, Mark D'Antonio, his teams, Joe, never too high, never too low. So even off of the big win against Notre Dame last week, I think they'll be ready for this game. I think they're excited to continue making statements that, yeah, everybody wants to talk about Ohio State and Michigan, but we're still the Big Ten defending champs and we're still in the mix in 2016. I think this is a low-scoring game, though. I think it's 23-13. I think they win by 10 points. I think it's just a very methodical Big Ten type of game. I don't expect a lot of points in this battle, but we'll see how it plays out a little bit later today, about 20 minutes till kickoff. We both like Michigan State. I think double digits, a low-scoring game. Rich thinks they're in the area of seven to eight points. We'll turn our attention to the big one, LSU and Auburn. I mean, you could cut the pressure with a knife. it's only, I mean, I can't wait to see. Both of these coaches need Tums entering this battle because <laughs> if things don't go right early, I, I mean, the, you're going to get a little tight if, if Etling misses a couple of passes early or if Sean White comes out. I will say this. I understand why he's going with Sean White, even though I again, he doesn't have a choice because the way you have to beat LSU is over the top. They're, they're giving up 222 passing yards per game. They're very solid in run support, only giving up 103 yards on the ground. Even though Auburn's running the football better than they were last year, they're up in the area of 261. They need to attack the secondary to take the eight out of the box. 
can't do that with James Franklin. That's the problem. That's why he has to go with Sean White in this battle. He's handcuffed in this battle. I do not like Auburn in this matchup because of the fact they don't have an identity. He doesn't know if he wants to run. He doesn't know if he wants to pass. And to me, I'm going with Les Miles. He's a riverboat gambler. There's no way he's losing a less, uh, Gus Miles on in this battle. He'll find a way to get this done. And I think the Tigers, the Auburn, uh, LSU Tigers get a 14-point victory on the road on the Plains a little bit later tonight. A lot of similarities between Wisconsin and Michigan State, right, Joe? I, I, I don't expect a lot of offense. Yeah, I don't expect a lot of offense. I, I expect it to be sort of, uh, you know, ugly offensively. I think that'll be the case with LSU and Auburn. I love the defensive talent of LSU. That's going to be a big problem for Auburn. We look at Arden Key, Kendall Beckwith, Jamal Adams, Tredavious White. These are elite defenders. I think they'll be ready for tonight's game. Sean White will struggle against that defense. A good but not great. Great effort from Leonard Fournette, maybe about 125 yards and a touchdown on the ground. I have a 27-17 LSU. I just don't see where Auburn could piece things together and get a key victory. I just see high scoring for some reason. I see 38-24, but I'm in agreement with you. And here's another matchup that you got to keep an eye on. You brought up Arden Key that leads LSU with five sacks. As a team, they have 11 total sacks through three games. Auburn's offensive line has allowed nine sacks through three games. Sean White is not a mobile quarterback. You know where he's going to be. Arden Key and those uh, defensive ends can get a gauge on him, especially if they start blitzing. You know, Chavis loves to play man-to-man coverage on the outside and dial up the blitz. If the offensive line gives way, it could be a long day for Sean White, especially if they fall behind and become one-dimensional. Now, high scoring, are you expecting defensive scores, special team scores? I don't know because I, I watch that ball game. I watch every play of Texas A&M and Auburn, and something just tells me I don't think it's going to be the same type of game because I think both teams are going to want to start fast somehow, <laughs> some way, whether it be turnovers, whether it be you know get the other opposing defense off balance, and I think they're very aggressive in their play calling. That can mean up-tempo, that can mean challenging the deep middle of the third. So for me, even though it, it sways to a low-scoring game because of their offensive inefficiencies, I think it's the same thing that we saw with Penn State and Pittsburgh. We both thought low scoring and then there were fireworks. So, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. we didn't know how that game would go over and somehow, some way, Trace McSorley blitzed Pitt, Pitt for 330, right? Yeah, I just one one quick stat, which I think the audience will, you know, have to scratch their heads as to how this guy possibly survives. Gus Malzahn, forget the home field advantage. The game's on the plains. Seven straight losses at home versus visitors from Power 5 conferences. He's 0-7 on the Plains against teams from P5 conferences. So anybody who's like, well, Auburn's at home, advantage that Tiger, not the case. And I think at the end of the day, the Auburn administration is going to look and say, we can't protect our own turf. How in the heck can we keep this guy in 2017? And the Auburn AD already came out and said, we need to win games that we're supposed to win. They haven't won, I mean, a home game. Since uh, seven games, like you mentioned, is unbelievable when you think it's about staggering. it. I, I mean, yeah, it's staggering. So, I mean, if he loses this game, I, I could see him walking midseason. I just think that they would let Kevin Maybe. Steele, Kevin and, Steele, yeah. take over. I mean, it's a possibility. And you know what? A lot of teams have begun to do that, Joe, because it gives them a head start on the search process. It sends a signal out to you know 
potential uh, replacements that, listen, we're in the market. Let's get this search going early. Let's let the nation know. So maybe, you know, they get a head start that if another program is looking for a head coach, Auburn will be first in line for who that guy is. Who that is at this point is really anybody's guess if, if indeed it happens. It's incredible. You think about some of the marquee names for both programs. I mean, back in the day for LSU, Chad Loop and Jeff Wickersham and Tommy Hodson. I mean, Harvey Williams and Auburn. Guys like Freddie Wigan and James Bostick. Freddie Beasley was another one of my all-time favorites. I mean, Takeo Spikes. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, the, the type of NFL talent that both of these programs have put out throughout the years, unprecedented. And we'll see how that plays out a little bit later. Rich and I both like LSU in this matchup. So uh, we're, we're sort of, I guess, aligned. Our, our chi is in a line today, Rich. We're not, <laughs> we're not back in we're, – we're, we're back in alignment, and uh, we'll see how yeah. it plays out with our picks. But here's another intriguing one, Nebraska and Northwestern. Nebraska and Mike Riley got off the schneid last week, even though uh, um, Mark Helfrich went for five two-point conversions. I mean, my Twitter handles go for the two, but you have to have some common sense <laughs> when you go for the two. You're not aggressive all the time. You just have to win the game, and it's unbelievable how that bit them. They go on the road to face a Wildcat team that plays them tough each and every year. I think this game's going to be a lot closer, even though I think Nebraska might win. I think it's by a field goal. I don't see anything more than that. I think Northwestern is in the position to strike the upset a little bit later today. I have to agree with that. I mean, I, I think it aligns very nicely for Pat Fitzgerald to potentially pull the upset. He's home. Uh, his team got off the schneid last week against Duke. And, and Nebraska, after the emotional win uh, against Oregon, I, going on the road, I would have to think they're a little bit down. It's not a team that has a preponderance of elite talent. Tommy Armstrong is playing well. Uh, they're running the ball up to Mike Riley's expectations. But I think this is a very difficult road test for Nebraska wouldn't be the least bit shocked if they if they lose that game and you know listen you got to talk to Mark Helfrich. He's taking that Twitter handle too literally. I actually blame Joe Lisi, Ducks fans, for that loss last week. Well, Royce Freeman's out for the year as well, so that could be a, a, a hit for them uh, in Oregon as they play Colorado a little bit later in the year. We'll, we'll get his thoughts about that, hopefully, and uh, going for two. They're a little less aggressive at home against Colorado a little bit later today. We'll stick in the Pac-12. I like Arizona State to dominate Cal. They're, they're rushing for 260 yards on the ground. Cal is allowing 296 on the ground. I think Balaj, DeMario Richard, blowout today. Double-digit victory for the Sun Devils. Pac-12 at night. I, I Listen, if you like shootouts, you like offense, I think this is a perfect game for you. I would expect it to be similar to the Texas Tech-Arizona State game. Lots of offense, competitive into the second half. Uh, first team to 50 gets the W tonight. Incredible. It's an 83 total, so we'll see how that plays out. We still have some other games left. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, we're about 17 minutes to kick some interesting battles. We'll talk about... 
Let's see. Here's an intriguing one. I'm calling for the upset special here, Rich. Boise State, Oregon State. I like the way Oregon State's playing under Gary Anderson. I like Seth Collins at the wide receiver position. Garrettson, he can move the football. I'm not sold on Boise State. And I think physicality-wise, Oregon State matches up very well in Corvallis. Upset special, Beavers over the Broncos today. Uh, I, I Listen, I like where your mind is on this one. I, I'll still take Boise State. I think the Broncos will win, continue on what could be a, a perfect season, go 2-0 and against the Pac-12. But I, I like where you're going. You're basically saying Gary Anderson is making progress in his second season with the Beavers. I agree with that. Daryl Garrettson is the right quarterback, a major upgrade from last year. So competitive, yes. But at the end of the day, with Rippon behind center, Jeremy McNichols running the ball. I just think too much offense from Boise State for Oregon State. I'm going to give another uh, I'm not, I'm loving the dogs today. Here's another one. Duke and Notre Dame. Notre Dame season's done. I was high on Notre Dame. Thought they were a playoff team. Dead wrong on that. I'll be the first one to admit it. Defensively, they don't still don't have a sack. And they're going up against Duke who has 14 sacks. One of the top sack totals in college football. David Cutcliffe on the road. I'm not saying they get the upset, but they're in position and they're they're getting 20 points at on the road. I think they make this game a lot closer. There's Notre Dame has nothing to play for. And after that lackluster performance, I see the Blue Devils in this game from start to finish. Interesting. And and for Duke, this would be their proverbial bowl game because it's not a typical David Cutcliffe season. They're struggling in the outset, uh, probably don't get to six wins and become bowl eligible this year. So they may be putting everything into this exciting trip. Everybody likes to visit South Bend. Everybody loves the history of being there. Uh, you could get a best foot forward type game out of Duke. I don't think they win it, but uh, I would agree with you, Joe. I think uh, nearly three touchdowns is a little too rich if you want to lay that uh, for the Irish. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep it with the local flair. Iowa and Rutgers. I think Iowa physicality on the offense and defensive lines. Rutgers allowing 178 rushing yards on the ground. They, they gave up 177 in New Mexico last week. I think Iowa wears down Rutgers. They win this game by about 21 points. Yeah, listen, I, I still like Iowa. I, I'm aware of the loss last week to North Dakota State. Certainly no uh, shame in losing to the best team uh, out of the FCS, but I really like Iowa. I still think they're the team to beat out of the Big Ten West. Rutgers is just not Big Ten caliber right now, we'll so a, I, I think we'll that could a, be a lopsided game. We'll take a quick break. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. <laughs> You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, we're going to go rapid fire with the last few games on the docket. Here's an intriguing battle, Rich. Washington and Arizona. Washington, number nine in the country. They're 3-0. and They're going on the road to Tucson. In my opinion, crazy things happen. Noah New Solomon, a lot of injuries for the Wildcats, but I think this game is a lot closer than people think. I think Arizona pushes Washington to the limit a little bit later today. Yeah, listen, I, I think it's uh, a compelling game, Joe, because I want to see if Washington is for real. I'm not saying that will be definitively answered in Tucson, but after the the teams that Washington has played, I, I don't know if they're just really good or if they're Pac-12 
12 championship good. And, and we'll get an idea tonight with Jake Browning on offense, a terrific defense. Kind of agree with you, though. You know, I mean, weird things happen after midnight in the Pac-12. And I would not be the least bit surprised if Arizona, at a minimum, puts a scare into Washington. I'll be up until like 3.30 watching this game. Washington will probably have like a 20-point lead. Arizona will come back. It'll be a triple overtime game, 4.30 in the morning. Yep. I could just see something crazy happening. They knocked off Utah the same way last year and when people thought Utah would just roll over them and somehow, some way, Rich Rod and the crew hey. always put together a solid performance when you least expect it. Uh, expect- well, how about the look ahead, too? How about the look ahead? Great I mean, point. Who's up next for Washington next week, right? Not that not, It's a Pac-12 game, so they're not going to look completely past Arizona, but... Stanford looms yeah. next week. Yeah, a great <laughs> that's point. huge. That's a yeah. hu- that's a great point entering that battle. And we could see it today with Louisville and Marshall because last week mm-hmm. Marshall they lost to Akron and, and my my good friend head coach Terry Bowden who put up over 60 points on the thundering herd. Very happy for the Zips as they dominated that battle. But now Louisville goes on the road as a big favorite in West Virginia with that game against Clemson looming. And this is a a Marshall defense that's only allowing 96 rushing yards per game. Doc Holliday's a defensive-minded head coach for the most part. I think they play a lot better than people expect. I'm not saying they get get the upset over Mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson, but I think this game could be a lot closer than people think because of their ability to run the football and more importantly force Lamar Jackson to to work down the field and get field goals instead of touchdowns. Yeah, the problem that I have this week, I, I usually like the Marshall program. I like the athletes that they get out of the state of Florida to go to Huntington. Today, no Chase Litton. He's got a concussion. Looks like he's not going to play. So you don't have your quarterback on Marshall's side. I don't know much about the backup situation, but that's a tough spot against the athletes of the Louisville day. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. The, the Heisman frontrunner at this point, in my opinion, Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. if they get through this, that showdown in Death Valley next week, number three and number five, Louisville versus Clemson on the road in Death Valley. Doesn't get better than that. Rich and I will be breaking that game down next week, no doubt. We'll have marquee uh, guests lined up for that. Here's an intriguing uh, program. Wake Forest, love what Dave Clawson's doing, going up against Kevin Wilson and Indiana. I mean, this could be a sleeper in the Big Ten as well. They're playing very well. They have playmakers uh, like Divine Redding at the running back position. One of those playmakers, Simi Cobbs, out now indefinitely that'll hurt that offense it all falls on uh, wide receiver Ricky Jones and quarterback Richard Legau but I like Wake Forest in this spot it's a 330 start they're getting seven points I like Clawson and this team to possibly pull off the upset a little bit later today in Bloomington you know it's an under the radar game I like to watch games like this I would encourage our audience to watch games like this because I, I know it's not LSU Auburn but it's a huge game for both Wake Forest and Indiana, a chance for the Deacons to go 4-0, the Hoosiers to go 3-0. It's uncharted territory, and there's one player on Wake Forest that sort of embodies that defense. Duke Ejiofor, a kid from Houston, defensive end, very disruptive. He's the kind of scrappy player that has gotten them to 3-0, and if they 
get to 4-0, and I think Clawson could seriously start talking about that first bowl game, which would be huge for the evolution of his program. Another guy that allowed, they allowed the administration after Grove to get his mm-hmm. players there and build it because he was a solid coach at Bowling Green. He built physicality on the offense and defensive lines, and he loves to run the football. So that's another intriguing contrast in styles because if Wake Forest could dictate tempo early, keep Legau on the sidelines, that could be a, an intriguing ball game. ACC Big Ten. So I'm with you. I'll be watching that battle uh, 3:30 later today. I'm trying to get through as many games as we can. I love a lot of a lot of underdogs today. I mean, it's incredible. Oregon and Colorado. To me, if Lufau was playing in this battle, I would take the bus. I think they played very well. They should have been in a position to get the upset if Lufau played last week. But I think Oregon has way too much speed on the perimeter, even though they they haven't looked good. I still like Oregon. I think they get a 20-point 20, 20 or more victory at home in Outson Stadium. Yeah, I, I think Colorado competes. I mean, that was the that was sort of the DNA of Colorado last year, Joe. They they competed against more talented teams, couldn't find a way to win. I think that's the case today. I think they're in it for four quarters. I think Oregon is demoralized after the loss to Nebraska last week. The health of not only Royce Freeman, but Terrell Crosby, uh, one of the top left tackles in the country, he's done for the season. So this is not your, your typical Oregon team. I think Mark Helfrich, if he struggles today, he could begin to feel some heat as the season approaches the second half. So I think Colorado close, falls short, but again, continues to show a competitive flair under Mike McIntyre. Wow. So we'll see how that plays out. We're going against each other. Last game, just rapid fire. I like Kentucky without Drew Barker over South Carolina. Who do you have? I'll take South Carolina and that defense of uh, Will Muschamp. Wow. We'll see how that plays out. We love college football. Stay with us each and every Saturday. 10 to 12, we'll be with you. Follow us next week. Have a great weekend, everyone. For Rich Sermonello, I'm Joe Lisi. Joe Lisi, stay with us on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network each and every Saturday. Have a great weekend. Back on College Football Game Day. We'll go rapid fire. I'm going to give my – we spoke about him, but I just want to reiterate my two best plays in terms of what I look at in these games. Rich, take it to the bank. You had Michigan State. Great call last Mm -hmm. week. I was on Notre Dame. Mine is Texas A&M, hands down. Love Texas A&M today. And I I really like Arizona State later today against California. Again, when you can run the football 260 yards on the ground and Cal has given up 296. To me, Balaj and Richard have huge days, and I think that defense a lot better. That's what I'm looking at in terms of favorites, and then two underdogs that I love. I think Georgia is the upset special for today and UCLA a little bit later tonight over McCaffrey. I disagree with you right across the board, which I know drives people wild. Uh, no no real consensus here. I, I think your first two picks closer. I expect Arkansas and Cal to compete. Cal with Davis Webb. Uh, I, I love Ole Miss. I'm going to go head-to-head with you on this one. I think Ole Miss flexes its muscles, takes advantage of the weaknesses on the Georgia offensive line, bottles up Nick Chubb, harasses Jacob Eason. So I, I think Ole Miss by 10 plus. 
plus over Georgia today. I'm wearing Georgia Bulldog sweats and sneakers just in case you didn't know here in the studio. So just you want to you want to second that? Are you still going against me with all the Georgia garb that I'm breaking out here I in am. New York? All right. Yeah. Here's an, here's another game. Let's try and get it in quick. Colorado State and Minnesota. I'm not sold on Minnesota and Mitch Leiner. I, I still like uh, Colorado State to cover the 17 points. I think it's a lot closer than people think. Yeah, oddly enough, I, I agree with you for a change. I think Colorado State with Mike Bobo can compete in this game. Not enough offensive pop out of Minnesota to run away and hide. So I think I, I could see this in the neighborhood of about 10 points. 17 is a little rich for today. Another great weekend of college football. Week number four. Tweet us at go for the 2 That's the number two. At Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. For Rich Sermonello, I'm Joe Lisi. Stay with us. We have marquee back battles next week 10 a.m through 12 p.m every saturday have a great weekend enjoy the games everyone